A very good evening. Since the first indictment was issued in New York last year, Donald Trump's campaign has been the proverbial snowball, rolling downhill, getting bigger, gathering momentum, seemingly unstoppable. And last night, it rolled into the frozen tundra of Iowa and crushed the opposition. It was a historic night for the former president. He took 51% of the vote, and on the evidence of this result, the GOP is entirely his party. It poses huge questions for his two remaining opponents, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, who came second, ahead of the former South Carolina governor, Nikki Haley. But right now, it's not a race for second, it's a race for relevancy. Trump's rebound is all the more stunning for this reason. He faces a multitude of charges and allegations. He could even be convicted before he takes office. And on leaving Iowa this morning, he went straight to a courtroom in Manhattan for the opening of a defamation trial. The court case, now part of the campaign. I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative, it would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. It's practically never been like this. It's just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon. Too. The victory speech last night was conciliatory in sharp contrast to the rhetoric of recent Trump rallies. He's talked of retribution against his enemies. He's labelled political opponents as vermin. He's warned the immigrants that are streaming across the southern border are poisoning the blood of the nation. And they love him for it. The Republicans want to fight her. They're suspicious of the Washington elite and they are deeply frustrated with the left and the perceived woke agenda. So where does this all go from here? Is there still a race for the Republican nomination? And if he was to return to the White House, what would a Trump second term mean for the rest of us? Who better to steer us through all of that than our US special correspondent, Caddy Kay. A very good evening to you. Welcome back to the set, to the programme. It's lovely to have you alongside. Hey, hey Christian. So he wanted, he wanted a blowout, OK? And there's no doubting it was an, in, mm -hmm. an overwhelming endorsement by the Iowa Republicans. So give us an answer to that first question. Where does the race go next, Cathy? Well, so in literal terms, it goes on to New Hampshire, where there is a primary next Tuesday. New Hampshire voters are different from Iowa voters. They tend to be more independent. There are more voters who are undeclared in their party affiliation than there are either Democrats or Republicans. So in some ways, it's more representative of the rest of America, perhaps, than Iowa is. They, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump will all go there. At the moment, Nikki Haley is a little bit behind Donald Trump in the New Hampshire polling. If Nikki Haley were to win New Hampshire, then that would breathe some last gasps of life into the argument that perhaps this is not Donald Trump's automatic coronation, but that we actually have a race on our hands. Then after that, it goes on to Nevada and South Carolina and all the other states across the country. So, so we've got another week, I suppose, that we all have to wait until we see whether Iowa was an anomaly and Trump's blowout in Iowa reflected the fact that Iowa is a very conservative, very white state with not very many college-educated graduates, and uh, he's going to do less well in a state like New Hampshire, which is a little bit more demographically mixed. I want to put on the screen for our viewers um, some figures that CNN showed this morning. These are exit polls last night. 
65% of those who voted say they will support Donald Trump even if he is convicted. 66% of voters don't think Biden legitimately won the 2020 election. For those who, like Joe Biden, believe this is the most undemocratic president in American history, Cathy, they'll look at these figures with utter dread. Yeah, now it's, I mean, it's interesting, those numbers, isn't it? They're actually entrance polls, not exit polls. Iowa, as you remember when we were there, is wonderful and quirky in many ways. They don't do exit polls, they poll people but as they go in, perhaps because after two hours of caucusing in a school hall, hall in Iowa, you're fed up to the back teeth of politics and you don't want to talk about it anymore, and so you reject all the idea of being polled on the way out. So you get polled on the way in. Um, now, that 60% who uh, think that if he's convicted they would still vote for him. Let's flip that and say that means that 30% wouldn't vote for him. Now, that's 30% of a very conservative electorate that is very much friendly to Donald Trump in the middle of the country say they wouldn't. Also, add to that 60% of Nikki Haley's voters uh, in Iowa last night, also in these entrance polls, said they won't vote for Donald Trump if he is the Republican nominee. It's not very big numbers, but you know this, Christian, the last election was only won by 100,000 votes in five different states. Mm -hmm. So you need tiny, tiny, tiny margins. Now, the White House today is thinking, OK, yeah, Donald Trump won by a blowout. Clearly, he's still very popular with the Republican base. But peel away some of these numbers. All you have to do is chip away at the odd, literally the odd thousand votes here and there in Georgia, in Arizona, in Wisconsin, and you have the potential to have a much more competitive race in November. Mm. So you can twist those numbers either way. You can say, yeah, that's, that's crazy. So many people think that Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election, and so many people don't care even if he's convicted felon uh, in a federal court, they're still going to vote for him. But from the White House's point of view, there are sort of also, I think, glimmers of hope there for Biden's re-election chances. You wrote a really interesting piece for BBC Online this, this week on what the rest of the world sees here. Um, split that down for us. How, how will they view last night's result? Look, I mean, you know, the world is always interested in American elections. America matters around the world in a way that, that kind of no other country arguably still does. And so there's always a huge amount of attention. But I think this time around, partly because of the prospect of Donald Trump returning, partly because there are two hot wars America is involved in, in um, even if indirectly, in Gaza and in um, Ukraine at the moment, there is an enormous focus on whether we are going to have a change of policy in November in the White House that would impact the rest of the world. Now, some countries around the world, and this was interesting in my reporting, some countries around the world would welcome a, a return of Donald Trump. I think we always assume that not everybody would. But there are definitely countries in the Middle East, for example, where Don, Joe Biden has been pretty critical of some of the leadership that might say, you know, we want Donald Trump back again. There are countries with populist leaders that may say, we're going to get a better deal if Donald Trump is back again. But there are an awful lot of America's allies, and you must hear from them all the time, Christian, in Europe, um, in parts of Asia, that look on the prospect of Donald Trump returning you know, with some alarm and consternation, as we've been hearing from world leaders. And nowhere is that more true than in Ukraine, which is literally depending on America to keep its war going.
Yeah, well, I do hear that, but I hear it largely in private. I think the only European leader that I've heard in recent weeks express the concern that is out there is Christine Lagarde, the president of the ECB, who said mm. last week, if we're to draw lessons from history, meaning the way he ran the first four years of his mandate, it is clearly a threat. Now, there will be others that privately share that view, and they will worry, Catty, that in a second term, the restraints that might have been there the first time around will be removed. Yeah, I mean, actually, I had an interesting conversation with Senator Coons, who, who you've spoken to as well many times, who is co-chair of Biden's re-election campaign and very close to President Biden. And he said to me that there has not been a single conversation with a world leader or a global foreign secretary in the last three years in which at some point he has not been asked this question, is it really possible that America could re-elect Donald Trump? And he said to me, yeah, and I have to tell them, yeah, it is possible that America would have to re-elect Donald Trump. Um, I thought Christine Lagarde's comments were interesting and she kind of stuck her neck out in a way, in public, in a way that may be considered indiscreet. She's certainly not a world leader. She's not running a country. She's not up for re-election, although she would probably find it pretty uncomfortable if she carried on being head of the ECB and Donald Trump is re-elected. But she, if you kind of look further at her comments, she points to these specific areas, the fact that Donald Trump imposed tariffs on European countries, steel tariffs on European countries, the fact that he has said, and I've spoken to the Trump campaign about this, and they are still committed to this, that he would like to pull out of NATO, that that's a big change of policy. Uh, she pointed to climate change. We know that Donald Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement within the first few weeks of his presidency and, um, and the war in Ukraine. So she kind of pointed to specific areas where history might tell us what you know, the next presidency might do if it was Donald Trump. And in my conversations with the Trump campaign, those are all areas that they are looking to have a change of policy from Joe Biden and a change of policy perhaps that many Europeans wouldn't like. We've talked to where it goes next in terms of the race and in terms of how people might see it overseas. What about the court cases, which are now a prominent part of this campaign? How do they fit into the calendar and how does or how is he using those to his benefit? Yeah, I mean, God, can you imagine, Christian, trying to run an American presidential campaign? First of all, there is nothing in the world, no money that you could pay me to be a candidate in one of these <laughs> campaigns because you never sleep. You're on the road the whole time. You're, you know, out all over the country. It's a nightmare. I mean, it, it taxes even a sort of 45-year-old like Barack Obama when he was running. How on earth Donald Trump or even Joe Biden can manage this at their age? And then Donald Trump has all of these court cases. And where is he today? He's not in New Hampshire. He's not in South Carolina campaigning. Where has he been over the last week? He hasn't been in Iowa barnstorming across the country in the 100 counties like Ron DeSantis did. Much good did that do him. Fat good it did him. He's been in court cases. Now, he doesn't have to be in these court cases. He's choosing to be in these court cases. These court cases could proceed without him being there. Legally, there's no requirement for him to be there. Why is he there? Because look at the polling. Donald Trump last year saw a direct uptick in his polling amongst Republican voters when Alvin Bragg indicted him in the Stormy Daniels case, fraud case, election campaign fraud case, um, back early last summer. We all watched all of those pictures. Well, that did wonders for Donald Trump's campaign. And we've seen that with every indictment that he's had, he clocks up a bit more campaign fundraising and he gets a boost in the polls. And now there have been so many that Republican voters you mentioned them in Iowa last night, say they all think this is a witch hunt. That's why he's turning up in these courtrooms, because this is fantastic campaigning mm. opportunity for him. Now, 
is it going to be a problem for him when he actually goes through these trials, some of the ones like the Jack Smith trial and the January the 6th, and people are reminded and they see the images again of January the 6th and the storming of the Capitol that we reported on that day. And if he is convicted before November, will that be a problem for him? Look at those Iowa voters who are saying, mm. actually, you know what? If he is convicted, I'm not sure. No, they, could change, they could change their minds, of course. But at the moment, they're saying, ah, three in 10 of them are saying, you know what, if he's convicted of a crime, that doesn't sit so well with me. I'm not sure I actually would vote for him. Mm. So I don't think we know yet. We know that up until now, these court cases have been a political boon for him amongst Republican voters mm. and primary voters. Well, it's what we don't it, know is how they're going to play out in the general electorate. Yeah, I was just going to say, finally, Caddy, I mean, it's not a problem for him within the party, is it? Because the likes of Kevin McCarthy, Lindsey Graham, who who walk back their criticisms of his behaviour post-January 6th, they've let him off the hook for that. The two candidates have let him off the hook for that. In fact, they've used the same rhetoric, that the system is rigged, that there are two systems of justice, which, in a sense, mm -hmm. when we talk about where the race goes from here, gives them very little room. I mean, what do they campaign against him on now that we're into the final stretches of, of, of the New Hampshire primary yeah, and, and, I mean, and they're so far down the ballot? So, I think it's a great question. I mean, does Nikki Haley, because I think it's really only Nikki Haley that matters at this point, because although Ron DeSantis did better than expected in Iowa, he's nowhere in New Hampshire. He hasn't really campaigned there. He doesn't have support there. So we're going to come out of New Hampshire with the idea that probably this is a two-person race. I think it's a one-person race. I think Donald Trump has it. But I, what does Nikki Haley do to try and increase her chances? Does she suddenly come out full-throated and attack Donald Trump? I don't know. I mean, that didn't work for Marco Rubio. It's a super hard thing for Republican candidates to pull off. And how does she do it without alienating all of, even if she were to do it and by some, you know, sort of miracle almost succeed and win the nomination, if she really annoys Donald Trump's voters by attacking him, will they turn out for her and vote in November if she is the Republican candidate? You can't lose part of the base uh, that still thinks kind of almost that Donald Trump is the messiah. I mean, in, in Iowa, he's taken on almost kind of, you know, religious-like, you know, image amongst some conservative evangelical voters. So I think she just has to keep walking this kind of weird fine line of saying he's too old. Well, most Republicans and most voters think Donald Joe Biden is the old one. So that doesn't really seem to work very well. Say that he's followed by chaos. And I guess reiterate that. Maybe that works a little bit better for her. I don't think we're going to see a sudden new Nikki Haley going into New Hampshire or coming out of New Hampshire. I've enjoyed this. You don't miss this? <laughs> I've enjoyed so send it. My yes, agent. I'll be back. Can I get your agent to talk me. to my You're agent? Very, it's very hard. It's very. My people will talk to your people. It's yeah. very hard to get on. Do you your know, show, I was Christian telling the gang upstairs. I mean, you know, you're uh, very, you're very sought after. So I, I uh, phone every day, but nobody picks up. Really. I was telling my gang. I went into the dry cleaners last week. There was a woman having a jacket pinned, and she looked at me, and she sort of recognised me faintly, and then she said, "Oh, you're Catty K's sidekick." I said, yes, I am forever Caddy K sidekick. Yeah, right. I am forever Caddy K sidekick. <laughs> we'll Can't be escape back. it. We'll Lovely to see you. <laughs>